Hi everyone, welcome back to Filmcraft. Today we have an awesome guest who's actually been on here once before, and he's one of our favorite humans ever. Uh, Tim Cakebread is back on. So Tim has come on the show to talk about something very cool today. Um, and instead of me butchering the explanation, I'm just going to let him tell you what it is. So Tim, what do you got for us? Uh, yeah. So first of all, you know, thanks for having me on again. This is always a pleasure. And he paid us. <laughs> well, I'm just using you. No. Um, yeah, it, I've had some pretty cool stuff going on. So I just, you know, wanted to share and talk screenwriting with you guys and thought it would be fun. It's uh, this script that I wrote called Seeing Up, which Matt, I had sent it to you a while back. And mm -hmm. we had, you know, exchanged notes and whatnot. And it's a drama and it's a road trip film. And it's about a uh, employee for the Pixar firm, uh, or, uh, for, it's an employee for the uh, animation firm Pixar who gets sent to deliver a copy of the movie Up to a sick girl cross country. And it's a whole road trip movie and it's that whole sort of thing. And this actually started from a script analysis class that I was in at the new school where they were accepting submissions for their online academic journal and I just sent it in just on a whim and the editor liked it and he said let's move forward and that was I think back in I think October and then one thing led to another and next thing I knew we were recording and whatnot sort of just like we are now and yeah the first episode it's a three-part series and the first episode came out March 10th and then parts two and three are going to be released together uh, on April 19th. So it's been really exciting. It's just really cool. And it's, it's a unique thing as well, because I tell people, yeah, I'm, you know, it's, it's been exciting. I, I'm about to have a screenplay published and people will go, oh, awesome. Is that a thing? <laughs> and I went, yeah, yeah, actually it is. That's sort of what I said, too. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's a screenplay and you'll be able to read along with it and you press play and the actors read the roles and it's a really cool thing and it's just been a really interesting medium to be able to share my work so it's all been really exciting so part one has been exciting and part two and three will be exciting -er. <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff there and i gotta start with just the one thought I always have every time. You got to talk to your school about changing the name of that school. Maybe it's because I'm in Canada and I've never heard of the new school. Yeah. But I'm like, that always sounds so phony. It's what, how I imagine um, that stereotypical like American kid at camp that has a kid, has a girlfriend in Canada. The funny thing is about the new school is it's actually 100 years old. It's over 100 years old now. So, but now it's actually... Now that the name actually has prestige and, and whatnot, and, and people actually know who it is, at least in New York, now, if they try to change it now, just, that doesn't seem to make sense. So, well, the thing is, the actor studio used to be there. So, uh, Brando is, a, is an alum, Bradley Cooper is an alum, Jesse Eisenberg is. I'm, I'm missing so many that if, if people from the new school hear this, they'll, they'll bite my head off for, for forgetting, but... Yeah, it's it's got a a lot of people went there, so 
But I've literally had conversations with people saying, oh, what school are you going to? And I say the new school. It, yeah, okay, it's, it's new, I get it. But what, what school are you going to? Just, oh, God, are you near a phone? Just Google it. Google the new school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so you said that this pretty much happened off of a blind submission, right? More or less, yeah. I mean, the editor was a classmate of mine, and he made the announcement, and... I just sent it in just not really expecting anything of it. And then he emailed me back, I think the next day or something like that. And he said, this is great. I'll be in touch. And then I didn't hear anything for about a week or more. And then I went, okay, well, thanks for the compliment. But I guess, you know, whatever. But then, yeah, but then he's, you know, he's been great. And he really... His, you know, his name is Zane Michael, I got to say, and he really, really worked hard on it. And he put everything together and he synced up all the audio and he organized all the readings. And it wound up being this really great thing. And not only that, but especially I'm just I'm just so grateful to have a project like this anytime. But especially in a time like now when things are just so few and far between, it's been really, really gratifying. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, and the ability to make things, at least in like the film world, is, to say the least, extremely restricted now. So if you can make something in the audio world where you know you can have people in their apartments doing it safely, that must be pretty gratifying. Absolutely, absolutely. So is it kind of like a radio play? Yeah, essentially. Uh, you know, it's basically. Yeah, the, the audio recording, and you can read along the script as you go, and they actually read along, you know, the action as well. So it kind of sounds mm-hmm. like a table read, more or less, uh, for for people who, who know what that is. And they just, you know, go beat by beat. And I think this first part is about the first 12 or so pages. And then parts two and three are going to be a little different. There's There's a scene between two characters which this this first part was a whole bunch of characters which was a lot of fun and then it gets a little more a little more intimate uh between the characters and you get to know them and my hope at least is once you've read slash listened to all three you'll be you'll be thirsty for more and you'll want to know exactly because it's not the entire script that we're that Mm. we've published so the hope is that you'll you'll actually want to know what happens so we definitely have to dive into like the the screenwriting aspect of it, but I want to ask first the actual call it production of it. Like, what is that like? Would you do you have someone that you would associate as a director, or do you guys all just kind of feel it out? Like, what's the physical making of this audio piece like? How did it go? The editor Zane, I was actually referring to him as the producer because he was really just in charge of everything and he and he he came to me and he said he ran things by me and he said you know we'll tweak this we'll we'll change this word or something and we'll run all that by you but we're we're just all we're really doing is just making these slight adjustments just for the you know for the format of you know the the journal in and of itself so he was really you know taking the bull by the horns and he, I mean, he oversaw every single aspect of it, and yeah, he was just incredibly generous in just running every single thing by me, and I was able to approve, and it wasn't difficult on my end. I just wanted to make, he just 
was very adamant. Just we we just want to make sure that it sounds good. And I went, yeah, of course, yeah, me too. And so he was really, you know, the the head coach and the quarterback all rolled into one. Everything. Um, so my immediate next thought is, um, you mentioned that the first episode is twelve pages, and then you kind of. Um, cherry pick scenes for lack of a better word how did you decide on that like did the first 12 pages seem like an obvious thing just because it's the first you know episode or did you try and do things that really involved more dialogue so you didn't have to have so much of a narrator like what was the thought into choosing what you would put into these episodes that became really interesting actually because the first episode is the very beginning and i think that just sort of seemed natural but we we went through the other scenes that we were going to use, and he takes one scene between you know two supporting characters that's kind of like a B story, and then he takes another element that was that involves the main character, and interestingly, that all kind of really tied in with everything, and it kind of formed its own narrative in and of itself without giving the entire story away. It wound up being you know these this B story is introduced where it's uh, the main character's girlfriend and best friend it's actually a diner scene and i uh i admit i it's it's very reminiscent of 7 it's a completely different different genre i will tell you that right now but i you know i hold nothing back in admitting like yeah you know that was in my head so when you see that and it's like this is this feels you know has elements of that famous diner scene of 7 yep I know and not ashamed but uh yeah and it kind of just all sort of ties together and he said well look you know this scene sort of like these characters are talking about you know this plot element and then that comes back in this part do, do you see what I'm saying and I said yeah that's true actually I you know I I actually hadn't even thought of it that way but you know so it sort of forms its own narrative in and of itself so this which was great because it kind of made for this project to sort of stand alone on it on its own. So of course, you know, I, I, I hope that people will imagine, you know, what the rest of the story sounds like, but it actually sort of exists in and of itself, which has been really, really exciting and cool. Were you part of it? Like, were you acting in it as well? Or did you just kind of oversee the whole process? Oh, I'm the lead role. I wasn't going to let that get away <laughs> from me. No, I, that was the first question that I asked. I said, no, uh, can I, 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 but I, I, you know, very cautiously because I wasn't sure, you know, what would happen or what it looked like. I was so glad that they that they picked it. I said, w would you mind if I played played Daniel as well? And, you know, I get an email back just saying, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Whatever you want. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went, OK, so, yeah, uh, that was a whole part of it, too. And being able to be part of the reading and to actually hear the the characters read for the first time and and the funny thing is actually i had not visited this story for a long time actually i wrote this i i remember looking back because i posted it on instagram but i finished the first draft back in january of 2019 and i hadn't looked at it that much uh in a while in a few months so that became this whole experience in and of itself so playing this character and there there are elements of this character that really mirror little mannerisms and I've had friends that have read it and they text me just laughing saying you know gosh I, I just hear you doing that so much and and it's just it's just an exaggerated hopefully 
more obnoxious version of myself. Not as a, you know, hopefully I'm not quite like this guy, but uh, there are definitely elements that that uh, mirror my own my own little little ticks. So that was pretty obvious for for those that were reading at first, at least. And then, how did it work for the other characters? Like, did you have a type of casting, or did the editor producer guy just say, "I think these people would be great"? A lot of them were new school students. I think most of them were new school students. And yeah, he put out sort of a casting and asked if anyone wanted to be involved. And people raised their hand and said yes. And of which, of course, I'm super grateful for. And yeah, that's how we put it all together. So it's it's all it's all a bunch of you know film students and 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 writers all you know coming together, which was very very cool. So very grateful for that. I guess the only other question that I'd have in terms of, like, production would be, like, do you get a type of, you know, final say on anything? Like, do they send you a draft of it and you're like, ah, I like this, let's change X, Y, and Z? Because you really, you know, if it's an audio drama, you have that ability. You're like, oh, I don't like this line. I am the voice. I can just re-record it right now and send you a better one. Um, did you get a chance to play with the end product at all? Or was it just like, we cut it together, here it is, and it's good. The last 48 hours for me actually were quite, before it went to print, were actually, for me at least, were pretty, I was a little nervous, I'll admit, because that's what we did. We just went through everything, and again, the editor just sort of went through everything and said, how's this look? Does this look good? Here's what it looks like. So, you know, I, if if you notice, I'll, I tweaked this, and oh, that's a, you know, that's a grammar error. Did you notice that? Well, I can fix it if you want me to. Yeah, please, you know, make me make me sound as smart as humanly possible, please. Uh, so, so, the, yeah, they were really good about that and just, you know, bringing it to my attention and and making sure that I was okay with with what my voice sounded like and and sort of, in a sense, having a version of Final Cut, I would say. So, I. Uh, I was very happy about that, and and it looked, you know, at the same time, it didn't look, you know, it's just these little tweaks that they make, and it, it didn't look that that much different from anything else that I've that I had done. Just like, oh yeah, I was just I was thinking that, but I but I just forgot to <laughs> I, for, I forgot to write that in. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I I meant that really. It's just like, oh, I'm glad you caught that. You know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a lot of that in like visual film as well because I can think of numerous times when we even Latif and I are editing what we don't say and there's a lot of moments like that where it's like you're looking at it and you're like oh I meant to do x y and z whether that's through like a uh, a little prop that's set in a place where you're like why did I put that there I meant to put it six inches to the left or just like tiny little things and even down to editing where you're like I meant to chop two and a half seconds off of this and you do it real quick and you just like it that much more right after you make the change yeah, and just getting that that second voice that comes along and has actually read the piece and has spent time with it, and then there were even story elements that were you know in other parts of the story that weren't part of the published thing that he said you know this might work better if the character is feeling this way you know further in the beginning and then that's going to be a lot more rewarding towards the end things like that and just yeah yeah and and you know it's it it sounds. Maybe it sounds sort of crazy, but you're, I think, Matt, you might have even said this to me once, but it's kind of like, you know, he'll give you the idea, but 
as the writer with your name on it, you're still going to get credit for it. So yeah. <laughs> it's like the director gets the credit for all those great ideas that the crew has, you know, while making a film. So and but I, you know, credit where it's due. Uh, Zane had a ton of great ideas. So it, it all worked really well. And it was a really collaborative thing. And and the uh, the the actors who, who read it, too, were, were really, really enthusiastic and they got into it you know, way more than I thought they would. And some of them were saying, Hey, can you send the, I didn't get the full, full scripts. Can you send it? And I said, yeah, sure. Of course. And then they sent notes and it, it became a really in-depth thing. That was just a lot of fun. And it was also just a lot of fun just to have something like that to do during this lockdown life that we have. So anything creative, please throw it my way as much as humanly possible. Definitely. Um, The last question that comes to mind, and this is kind of a left field one, but I learned this the hard way on party stories, and I'm curious how it translates in an audio drama format. Um, One page to one minute, total bullshit, or did it actually kind of line up? I think it's kind of bullshit. I think it's pretty... I I come across so many exceptions to that rule. You know, I think my favorite one is... Dunkirk uh, is has a running time of I think an hour and forty minutes, and the script apparently is something like seventy six pages. So that's a difference of about thirty minutes. But when you watch the movie Dunkirk, so much of it is action. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's the soldiers running around, and Tom Hardy has something like he says something like five sentences throughout the entire movie, and. But as as you know, as a writer, action is single spaced. So you have a whole you have five pages of action that can be what ten minutes of movie. You 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 just don't know. Um, I think that's a very it's a very loose rule to go by. I think it's definitely something that can be helpful, but I don't think it's definitely not written in stone. I don't think any screenwriting rule is written in stone. Agreed. Latif, what's your take on screenwriting rules? I know you love them. <laughs> Personally, I don't really follow any rules anyways, but uh, <laughs> I think, um, you know, as long as the format makes sense and it's readable, you know, if it's not confusing, I think that's all that really matters. If you're reading a script and you're getting confused by, like, what's going on on the page, that's a problem. As long as you're not confusing the reader, then there shouldn't be any other, you know, hard and fast rules that you need to follow. Totally. I think the only real rule that, um, and this can be broken to very minor degrees, but the only rule that applies in screenwriting and movies is don't be boring. Like, I legitimately think that's the only one that you should absolutely try to follow. Unless you have a section that's meant to be, like, punishingly boring for a really good reason. You you can't see me right now, but I'm nodding my head very enthusiastically at that. Um <clears throat> There's a a book that I read a while back that's just called Screenplay by Sid Field. And I'm really glad that you brought this up, actually, Matt, because something that I've been reminded of when I wrote this this piece in particular that he says in the beginning of that book is just the screenwriter's job at the base of everything is just to keep the reader reading, just like a novel. It's just to keep the reader reading. And that's why I think this particular project works in this medium as well because my hope is that people will just keep reading it and so they can follow that narrative you know 
in this way, but also just imagine it on screen. But when he said that, I remember that really stuck with me because obviously because I read that book maybe 10 years ago and it really stuck with me because I think, yeah, why wouldn't it be? You know, you, you get into all this, all this stuff about format and structure and everything like that. But if you're not hooked within 10 pages, then that's, that's a problem. That's the problem probably, you know? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people will have the, you know, hook them in 10 pages, hook them in 20 or 5 or whatever. And the more that I stop to think about it, I'm like, I kind of think it's even fewer. Like, when I'm reading a script that someone sends me, if the, like Latif said, if I'm not getting confused, I'll keep reading till at least three pages if i'm getting confused on the first page then i'm just like well i'm not doing this i'm on page one and there's a hundred of these and i don't even know what's going on (laughs) then i'll put it down right away um but yeah really i would say like between three and five pages you don't have to like in my experience blow them away or anything but there has to be something there that's actually interesting enough to be like shit i want to read the next page like i don't even think you have 10 pages of leeway in that sense yeah, and I mean, the very first page of uh, Seeing Up that was just published, there's action that goes on for maybe seven lines or something, and, and it's describing the, the female lead of, of, the char- of, uh, of the story when she's coming back to meet him at the bar, and they say there's a rule, stick to four or five lines. But, you know, and I have taken that into account, but honestly... That's just part of the narrative right now, and I can tweak it later on when showing it to other producers or something, or if there's another vision that comes along, but that's just, it's just how the story is written right now, and that's just, that's just how it is. So, like I said, I think that there's just so many exceptions to every rule. Any rule that you hear in screenwriting, uh, there's going to be a hundred exceptions you can find I, I can almost guarantee you, and I think it's just finding a way that of working that you can thrive in and and you can you can enjoy. Well, I think like totally. Like Sorry, to off, offer a counterpoint even to the point you guys have made, because um, even even to not be boring, I almost feel like even that is something to be broken, because the idea of making every single thing that you write interesting is kind of due to you know the commercialization of film so that people will just continually watch it but um i think a part of what a great artist does is to take something mundane and take a closer look at it and bring it to life and it doesn't necessarily have to be super exciting but you can show boring things in film but because you've got like a um, a lighter touch with it and you know how to kind of maneuver what people are watching it it becomes interesting because we're forced to pay attention to it um, you, you know if you I remember listening to this one talk by um, Paul Schrader and he's talking about a kind of filmmaking I can't quite remember but kind of filmmaking where you linger on things that aren't necessarily interesting um, for a long time but because you're watching something, maybe someone like folding clothes for like 10, 15 seconds, it's not necessarily interesting, but you're finding details in the world that they're in that become, you know, more than what it is. Your mind starts to wander as you're watching it. 
Um, and he, you know, even some of my favorite filmmakers like Jim Jarmusch with like, I don't know, um, uh, permanent vacation where it's just a slow movie. But by the end of it, I, I kind of love the movie, but as you're watching it, like, this is so slow. Um, but there's, there's a kind of beauty to that. Even if you think of like a old Dutch painter, uh, Johannes Vermeer, he would paint like a street and someone's like brooming the sidewalk and there's nothing else happening. And you're like, what is this painting? It's like, well, it's showing the kind of beauty of just everyday life without it being this, you know, it's not a great war. It's not like this boat on the sea being like turned over by waves. It's just like an old lady brooming the alley. But there's some beauty and interest in that. And it's kind of making you pay attention to something that you might not necessarily want to. And I think that's something also to fight against is don't be afraid of making something that might be a little boring, but as long as you understand why it's important to you as an artist, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's, it's strange though, because when you say like, you know, Jim Jarmusch and it's really, really slow. The weird thing about that is like Patterson was one of my favorite movies the year that it came out. And I remember showing it to a buddy of mine. He was actually watching my cats while I was away for Christmas and I left him the DVD. I was like, watch this. And he texts me, he's like, what the fuck did I just watch? And I was like, what do you think? He's like, nothing happens. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's the definition of nothing happens. But the way that he does it is, even though it is, you know, that kind of stereotypically boring, where I think if you were to say what happens, nothing happens, then that equals boring. But it's done in a way that makes boring interesting as well. Like, it's a very fine line to walk, but I think those filmmakers that can do that, it's it's super impressive. The the first, what, six minutes of There Will Be Blood, all he's doing is just going around in a well. There's no dialogue or anything like that, but you just, you cannot, I don't think there's even really much music. I think the, the music builds a little bit, but you just can't take your eyes off it. And you just know that something is building for this reason. But yeah, I, I remember when that movie came out, it, I remember reading reviews and they were saying, yeah, just just fair warning. It's about six minutes before anybody actually even says something. So just just so you know, you know, it's nothing's broken. But it, I, I love I love when movies do stuff like that, when there's just maybe silence or something like that. But it's it's compelling. It's compelling just all on its mm. own. And, it, and a part of it is com I think it's compelling because the person making it is warranting that the viewer pay attention but they never know if the viewer will like it so you have to kind of take that charge as the as the creator and say you know what some people might not find this interesting but i'm going to take my time here and stretch it out because i think it's important so i'm going to show that in in the length that i think it should be shown and that's really the most important part of it um whereas when you're always kind of second guessing yourself and thinking, will this always be interesting to the viewer, then you might be handcuffing yourself a little bit because you're not exploring kind of like, um, you know, maybe a sub subversive thought or idea that you wouldn't always take because like the the way things are supposed to be is teaching you otherwise. So that that's just my counterpoint to the initial, you know, don't be boring, where I, I, part of me feels like, you know, try doing something boring but flip it on its head and see how, what you can pull out of it instead of like going for the obvious thing. 
yeah, it's all just based off the narrative that the film. I mean, I I'm trying to think of examples like, the, you know, the end of 1917. I remember was so compelling for me, and that whole it's just you know almost that entire movie is one shot, or it looks like it, and that whole final moment where he's just walking to the tree and he just sits and you're just on him on his face and it's just registering that this whole nightmare that he just went through is finally over and again no dialogue uh but on paper someone might have read that and just they might have thought oh what so he just he he tells them and I apologize in advance for the spoilers of 1917, but uh, to make a point, but he tells him and then he just walks, he just walks away and that's it. But when you add in all the other elements of, of storytelling and, and filmmaking and, and the music and, and all those elements, and it just makes for just, you wouldn't want to change it. You, you couldn't, you couldn't change it if you wanted to, you know? Agreed. Um, so I want to backpedal a quick second because I think it actually ties in with this talk of boring. Um, Tim, you mentioned that you read Sid Field's screenwriting or writing or whatever the hell that book is called. And yeah. I'm curious to your take on this too, Latif. So I've only read one screenwriting book. I read it before I wrote my first script. It was Save the Cat. I haven't read it since. Mm-hmm. And I think... My viewpoint on it is like it, it actually helped me quite a bit for my few, first few scripts, but to tie yourself into that structure or anything, I don't really think is going to be of benefit to you. So like, I think it's good to learn, but then, you know, move on from in a sense. And I tried to write, read Sidfield's whatever that book is called. I think I got like 20 pages in. And it was so dry. I was so fucking bored. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. And I quit. And I haven't gone back to it since. Have you guys tried that book? What was your thoughts? And just in general, screenwriting books, like, what do you guys think? I, I think I read Save the Cat. And I, I read it once. I think I might have read it twice. And I'm, I actually have screenplay. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, I remember really liking screenplay again it's been a long time since I actually read it but it was just a very I felt that he was very conversational in just the way he explained things and he seemed really passionate Save the Cat I, if I'm being honest kind of I kind of shot myself in the foot with it <laughs> to be honest because I took all the beats that he laid out really really for the not for this one in particular but the next one that I wrote which was a gangster script uh that i'd wanted to write forever and then i but i just was going by the 15 beats that he lays out and i was trying to hit all those marks and i was just trying so hard to just because it felt to me you know this is the way that it's done or whatever and honestly it doesn't read as well as seeing up does and i now i just i haven't looked at it in a while and i want to just go back and just rewrite the whole thing in a sense i think it definitely helped in coming up with those beats but yeah i find that sticking to those beats in a way is really really restrictive if you take it too literally so again and matt i think you actually sent me a podcast about screenwriting where it was Phoebe Waller, the Fleabag writer. I forget her her full name, but 
they were talking about this exact thing and they just say it's good to have a general you know idea and have have it sort of in the back of your mind but other than that that's all it's for it's a foundation and it's something to fall back on and otherwise you got to just find your own voice and find your own structure and what works and what you think will be interesting and i think that's really true so all those you know this is these are the beats this is how you should do a storyboard all that i think it's just those are just ideas it's just and their opinions so i think that's just really what you need to keep in mind because i think it's a great thing to to keep in mind but as far as screenwriting books go i'd take any of them with a grain of salt uh it's good to just get the foundations and to just get an idea of what is somewhat expected but other than that you can just sort of i i encourage anyone to just go their own way for lack of a better term what's your take latif um i haven't read any screenwriting books before (laughs) good for you man Uh, um well you know i just i've been writing for a long time i mean i think that was like the one thing that i really enjoyed doing even when i was like in uh, elementary school like writing short stories or poems and stuff like that but um learning screenplay format i think the easiest way for me was to actually read scripts so how i learned to write scripts was from reading other people's screenplays and i think um the the ones i liked the most are the ones i remembered and i just took techniques from that and then if i wanted to do something different in in this in the formatting um uh, i would just you know do something that uh, i saw in another script or i would just look up like what was the correct way to format like you know a voiceover or if i wanted to put like um a transition or something or prelap into a script how would i do that uh, so I think the scripts that I, I liked the most, just because there were movies I liked, were I read uh, Barton Fink, um, I read Mud uh, by Jeff Nichols. Yeah. I, re- I love Jeff Nichols. Yeah, great filmmaker. Um, I read uh, The Master by Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, and I think I'd, a couple of the Coen Brothers scripts, just so I could see how you know these people wrote their movies because i really liked the movies so i i wanted to see how they wrote them um and i knew the coen brothers uh wrote all of their all all of their uh, movies so i would read those screenplays just so i could learn how it was formatted and stuff and that was basically my my entry into learning how to write screenplays but in terms of story and stuff i i never really followed any kind of page page like marker thing i just kind of freestyled it and whatever whatever happened happened and I, I kind of just liked following um the thread of what what's keeping me excited or interested in in this kind of direction and i would just follow that um but it you know it's all very loose i'm still learning how to do things and, and navigate the the story through a script but um you know it's frustrating sometimes but it's gratifying when you get it right, but I, I haven't read any specific screenwriting books, so it's um, it's tough for me to say you know what you can get out of that because it's not something I've done before. I'm actually kind of envious. What is that? 
I don't know. There's a... Because like Tim mentioned, I think when you start with those books, you become very almost like meshed with them spiritually in a sense where you're like, especially Save the Cat when he's like, you know, this is how you write it. It is on this page, this page, this happens, this page, this happens. And when you read him write it, it, he seems so sure of everything. And when you're young, you haven't written anything, you're impressionable. You're like, well, here's a guy. This Apparently, this is like the best screenwriting book ever. He's telling me to do this. I should do that. And I think you lose a sense of freedom in your writing. So to be able to have just learned by reading scripts and really trying stuff, there's, you know, a sweet sense of exploration in there. And also just trying so hard to to stick to a very strict structure just makes it less fun, really. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you're, you're doing it for yourself. You're just doing it because you want this story to be told and you want to bring these characters to life and to try to... It, it turns into a to a math equation, and yeah. I think <laughs> creativity. It, someone, someone, I'm sure will say that math is creative too. I'm sure if you dig deep enough. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's different. It's just two completely different worlds. Well, how often and, do you guys think about your audience when you're writing? Because I, I think that plays somewhat to it. Because it seems like their their screenwriting books are predicated on what the audience is going to experience. So how often do you guys think about your audience when you're writing? Um, I, I only think of it in the terms of if I was watching this, would I think it's good? Um, and so I think of it, the audience, in the sense that I am the audience, but I don't picture it like, you know, would my dad like this? Like, I'm really... I, I think I can only make movies that would be, if they're excellent to me, then hopes are they're excellent to some people, pretty good to others. I'm sure some people will hate it, but that's pretty much as far as audience that I view it. Hmm. I'm the same. I, I'm sort of, if I, if I think I'll like it, then I think someone else in the world has to, or I, I was sort of maybe I'm just a selfish person, and I, all I care about is is whether or not I'm I'm interested in this story. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I I think that's that's just the best way to go in in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, to just if if you like it, they'll like it. I think to a degree that that has to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean I think there's even been times where I've been writing, and I had this on Thursday actually. Um, I'm writing a pilot and I was at like page 40 and it was something that I didn't outline for. So I was just kind of winging it. And I was like, okay, where does this go from here? Logically X, Y, and Z happens. And I was like, well, what if I threw him a curveball?" And I wrote this or I started writing this sequence. I got maybe three pages into it and I was like, I am bored like I'm bored. I'm like I'm writing this and I'm bored and I picture audience me and he's really bored. So everyone else is <laughs> going to be super bored. <laughs> so I cut back and changed direction and I think that's actually a really interesting uh and useful litmus test kind of thing like if you're bored writing it and you're bored envisioning yourself watching the finished product 
those two things and not just the first one because like in all honesty i think most writers are bored of what they write 90 percent of the time because writing's really hard and it's really exhausting so if you're saying like you know i'm really tired of writing this scene that a lot of things can cause that like it can be you've written it four times in the last hour because you keep going over it it could be that you're on the fifth rewrite and you're just polishing a word here and there that's super boring like a lot of things can make you bored of creating the words but if you can detach yourself and say all right i'm bored of the words but if i was watching this scene finished would i be bored as me as an audience member and the answer is you wouldn't be bored then you're still on the right track yeah like the characters are so compelling to you in the very beginning but then once you've spent a year with them and you've watched them do the same thing in your head countless times that's i think where a big challenge comes where you have to really try to still envision it experiencing it for the first time experiencing it from the audience's perspective because <laughs> that's not the case for them they haven't sat with them in a room by them by by themselves for for days and days on end so i think it's just finding that that refreshing quality is <laughs> something to to keep in mind Totally. What's your take, Latif? I was I was gonna say it's it's tricky, especially when you're writing something that's supposed to be funny, because after the mm-hmm. you know <laughs> first r- time you read it again, it's not as funny anymore, and it just gets even worse over time, and and eventually I just say like, oh god, I've written this like unfunny script, and it's supposed to be a comedy, but in in reality, someone who's never listen to it or, or read it will probably you know have the opposite reaction but that's just something you have to temper <laughs> that was yeah with comedy especially when you're you want to make a joke about something that's maybe you know of the day that's why i'm so envious of trey parker and matt stone how they can bang out south park episodes so quickly and they can just make a joke about something that happened last week like ah, oh, that must be great you know <laughs> if you, you 10 years ago or however many years ago, if you wrote a joke about Kevin Federline and then you're trying to make the movie now, it's just, ugh, I guess I got to change that. But it's but it's really funny and, ugh, oh well. They would have laughed in in 1999, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, um, let's loop this back to seeing up real quick. Um, so what was, like, why'd you write this? What was your initial idea? What was the purpose of telling this like origins in the you know the lot the this was the first script that i ever wrote this was the first feature that i finished so for that reason it's always gonna have a lot of resonance for me but i think this was a simple enough story that i actually read a very short article about this exact thing happening because apparently a there was a little girl who got sick and she was sadly not going to be strong enough to go see up in the theaters. And that was sort of her last, you know, make a wish was to see the film. So Pixar dispatched an employee to go take a copy to her. And I read that article and was just really moved by that story. So from there, I just built the characters and I actually kind of thought about well, how would I respond to this? How would I respond to this this situation and this story? And how might that change me if I were to take this literal journey? 
And I just sort of built it from there. And as far as the actual writing process went, I just made a real effort to just break it down. I get very daunted by things very easily. (laughs) And so I just told myself, write three pages a day. Three, even one page. Just write one page. You know, fix, fix half a page. Whatever. Write just a little bit every single day. And as cliche as it sounds, it, it really was just building blocks. And one of the funniest parts of the process for me was, I, as I had mentioned, I finished it in January of 2019. But I think there was probably a, a whole day where I was sitting cross-legged on my bed, and I had about 101 pages. And I was just arguing with myself in my head, just, I think I have a draft. I think I might be done. And I was like, no, 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 no. But, but I, I have to add a, add a scene at the end to, to explain that. Oh, wait, no, 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 you did that like three days ago. No, no, you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but at the beginning, I, I, they, they still need to, oh, no, 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 you, you, you bridged that too. No, that, that makes sense. That's okay. Huh. I'm just looking, you know, side eyed at it for, for the whole day and then I just I I have a draft. I I I'm you know, I'm going to be tweaking it of course, but yeah. Yeah, I'm done. I'm I am ordering a pizza. <laughs> so so uh, that was a whole cool part of the process in and of itself just to to realize that you actually had a foundation and you had that first draft. I mean, that's just that was such a a fulfilling feeling. And yeah, the truth is that it, there are elements of myself that are in the the main character. And also, music is such a huge thing for me. I don't know about you guys, but so much of the music I listen to, whether it's at the gym or just walking around, has something to do with, with film. Whether I heard it in a, in a movie or a show or it's, it's uh, you know inspired some sort of thought for a scene or something like that. And the song Holland Road by Mumford and Sons was something that I heard and I started playing it over and over. And that actually was what gave, like allowed me to imagine the ending of this, the the whole ending montage sort of thing of this script. And it's still there. I have it written in the script and that's something that, whenever I take it to producers, whatever it is, that is a conversation that I am going to, well, you know, it's, it's really actually a a big part of the story. So, so I have two things that I want to bring up. We'll start with the music. Um, I, I think most of the time that I've ever had, I don't believe in writer's block at all, but most of the time I've had trouble, unraveling something within like my own psyche music is usually the thing that unlocks it and it wasn't like this for the first two or three scripts i wrote but everything since there's associated music with it like i'll put a little list on spotify sometimes it's even just one song on repeat and i'll just listen to that the entire time i write i really think it's useful um latif what's your take music yeah it's a big yeah for me it's a big part of the the process too not necessarily when i'm writing i have music playing but i'll i'll make playlists for every film i'm working on and i'll kind of like listen to it as i go through my day um i think the last short film i made actually the whole film was kind of inspired by an album from this um group i really liked um and i and i wrote the film kind of with the the tone of that album in mind and i was 
um, hugely inspired by that by that album. And by the uh, time I finished the script, I, I remember emailing the the band and asking them if I could use their music in the film. Um, and they actually let me use his music, and I was like so excited about that, just because I was inspired by the album as I was making that's the film. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I know. It, it's just one of those things that's just so integrated for me. Um, so music is just, it's always been a part of the the process. So I still have my Caleb playlist on my Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> from what we done, yeah. So, yeah. What's on that? Uh, it, it's it's all sorts of stuff. I have Alice in Chains. I have for when he's sad. I have uh, <laughs> an Enrique Iglesias song that I played uh, from when he's really really drunk because I imagine oh that was a song playing at, at the nightclub uh, that they were at and he's all hopped up on Red Bull before the pancake scene. Uh, <laughs> like vodka, I decided he had also been drinking vodka Red Bulls all night. So that's why that's part of why he's so, so jacked up and energized at two in the morning. Um, so there, there's, it's, it is all sorts of different stuff and there's lots of, lots of depressing stuff for the, the lower moments and lots of happy go lucky. Oh, look at me. I'm a showboat moments. <laughs> well, that's interesting because it's part of your process as an actor. Yeah, and it's it's a huge part for me. I I remember before we started filming, saying to to the other actors and you, Matt. I said, mm-hmm. when we're not in between takes, there will probably be a lot of moments where I'm just off in a corner by myself listening to my headphones. I am not in a bad mood. I am not antisocial. <laughs> I am not mad at anybody. It's just what I do. So just just so you guys know. And, yeah. And everyone says, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, no problem. So <laughs> just that was like my, my personalized disclaimer. <laughs> All right. And then the second question I have, and this is something that I've thought a medium amount about. Um, Tim, you mentioned that the lead character in Seeing Up is, say, similar to you. Um, what are what's your take? And Latif, I want to know your thoughts on this too. What's your take on writing a character, specifically a lead character, that's similar to who you are as a person? For me personally, I think it's incredibly beneficial. I would only say that if you do that again and again, then maybe people will think you just write the same character. But I think you know. This is so funny. I was just watching The Disaster Artist uh, the other day, and they sort of talk about that whole thing, just how this whole movie is just a reflection of how he sees the world. And uh, and I remember thinking, you know, I, I wonder if that's... I, I can't, you know, make any real guesses, but I wonder if that, that really is true. It's just how he, he sees people people abandoning him or something like that. But... For me, it was incredibly beneficial, and it made me feel comfortable and like I the character is definitely not entirely me, but I think it's incredibly beneficial in just I'm trying to find the words just it's like having an imaginary friend to be honest, mm. uh like having someone that you can relate to to such a degree. And as corny as it sounds, you might actually learn something about yourself through the arc that the character takes. Uh, there's a moment in Seeing Up where 
the character just goes like he lets out this long like ugh <laughs> mo- like, like this long long groan and a friend of mine who I worked with in Vancouver uh, read the script and when he got to that moment he literally took a screenshot of it and circled it and said this is you this is so <laughs> it was because that's only in the first. 15 or 20 pages that that happens and he says oh now I get it this is just an exaggerated version of you and he was laughing hysterically at it and I was just laughing at it too but I think for me personally it it's really helpful in just sort of seeing how you would navigate a story because I mean who do you know who do you know better than than yourself and especially for me with my first screenplay it was like having a an imaginary buddy that i could and also just just funny little moments that you know you wish you could do in that scenario but you can't mm. but hey it's a screenplay it's it's fiction yeah go ahead and do it yeah go go knock that that character's drink out of their hand yeah go for it yeah you're living vicariously through through the characters you create which is incredibly fun i think what about you latif um, I guess it depends on the story. Like I've written, I think like my like there's a short film I'm writing right now, and I think the character in in this film probably is is the most like myself that I've written. But um, you know, it's it's not even a uh, the same gender I've written the lead character as a girl <laughs> and I feel like it's the, the most like myself um, but uh, it, I think it's just the sensibility like I, I I try to distill a part of myself into everything I write but it's always fragmented I, I, I want to spare society from too much of who I really am I guess <laughs> um, so it, it, you know there's fragments of my quirks and personality and everything I guess but you know sometimes there's a I think an enjoyment in going away from that and writing something you know completely you know devoid of any any of you know your semblance in it so uh, it it depends on the story but right now I think I'm I'm enjoying kind of going into my own head and, and trying to figure out what's uh, interesting to me and, and how I can put that into a character but you know like I, I wrote something um, over a year ago that has nothing to do with my personal life or myself and it was just like a completely different world and that's also exciting for me but I do like to I love to write like um, characters that I know in my life into stories or just like steal kind of other people's personalities shamelessly and put them into my films because it's not me so <laughs> No one's going to really tie it back to myself. Um, even if they find it annoying, it's always good for the story. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, so, like, what we don't say is loosely, and I mean loosely based off of an experience I had in my early 20s. And I tried pretty hard to make Ben Kruger's character um, not myself. I still see more of me in there than I would like, but even then I would put I probably anchored at like 25, 30%. And ever since I've been like, I'm writing the opposite of that for all my lead characters. So like the thing I wrote right after that, it was about a 17 year old girl and I've never been a 17 year old girl. And then the script after that was like this gigantic hulking, um, 
Irishman who mentally stopped aging when he was like nine. And I was like, that's very different than me. And the thing I'm writing right now, the person uh, has literally doesn't have a past. He doesn't remember anything about himself. And usually I would find that like very, very cliche, but it, it ties in thematically. I won't get into it. But yeah, after going through like the two year process of making what we don't say and then, you know, extra time to distribute and all that and seeing more of myself in the lead character than I had intended to go into it. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. I've done it once before. That's it. <laughs> even, uh, you know, it's funny, even on a more, um, but even an existential look at all of the series we have about movies and stuff, everything is kind of about ourselves. There's a reason we're writing it. There's some kind of mm -hmm. thread to who we are in everything we write, even if it's not directly related to us. There's a reason why we're interested in it, and it's got something to do with our past and our history. So sometimes that that writing process um, is leading you there, and you won't even know why you wrote something until you're finished. Um, and that's, I think, sometimes true for myself. Are you trying to call me a giant Irishman that stopped mentally aging at the age of nine, Latif. I, I was gonna, I was gonna say when when you said uh, that's not me, I wanted to be like, are you, you sure about that? <laughs> Don't you hear how Irish you sound? <laughs> well, everything touches our own sensibility, even if it's comedic. There's a reason we're kind of like attracted to something, right? Well, I think it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about screenwriting rules mm -hmm. and how there's a rule that says write what you know well that's kind of impossible because the only people that could write movies about the fbi would be fbi, FBI agents. <laughs> agents who everything is secret and classified so that's literally impossible so you can of course research and then the characters you create within that world are going to be connected to something that that's in your life or something that that you've experienced or that you know and that you know how to write so i think that all ties back mm -hmm. you know I, I hear write what you know and i'm just like i like whoever says that i'm like no 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 i want to like if i heard someone on the subway say that i'd want to be like no 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 come here come here let's have a conversation i want to talk about that just because <laughs> i think it's just so it's it's logic that doesn't really make any, make much sense but i totally agree all right, so I want to go to another part of this seeing up experience as well. Um, so I, I don't know if you mentioned it in this podcast, but you mentioned it to me before that up and obviously everyone would agree with this up is a super emotional movie. Um, and I think to write a movie about, you know, the deliverance of that to a child that is essentially on their deathbed is equally, if not more emotional. So how did emotion play into your shaping of this and the execution of it i i'm a fan of all pixar movies but it's not something that i really jump on i enjoyed up very much but the the thing that started everything was just it just happened to be that that true story happened around the time of up and that happened to be the film so of course i went back and i i had watched the film again and i it's it is a very very emotional piece and as I was writing the script, I realized that sort of organically things kind of just mirrored it and came back to it just sort of on its own. Uh, 
for those who haven't seen Up, I highly recommend it because I think it's just an absolute masterpiece now. But what's what's so ironic is in that film, you know, Carl, the the old man who wants to take his house, who he's so attached to and, and loves, with a whole bunch of balloons, flies away and wants to go to Paradise Falls, which he never got to go to with, with his late wife. And then he has the stowaway and it's the kid, and then the kid is what teaches him about you know, what's most important was actually right in front of him. And that's, quote unquote, you know, as cliche as this will sound, it's paradise was right in front of him. Mm-hmm. But it's true. And, and that's a that's that's, you know, that's the whole gist of the story. And seeing up is a story about gratitude and not taking things for granted. And I realized that probably halfway through uh, I mean, I realized that going in, but I started to understand it better about halfway through writing it. And I realized, oh, this is a, a character. Yes, he works for Pixar, which sounds like the happiest place on earth to work. But he's a brat and he's annoying and he's loud and he's obnoxious. And he's sent on this mission kind of as a last resort. Just oh, you're you're the one we, we got to send. And that becomes his arc and it's him realizing that the girlfriend he has is more special than he's realizing Mm -hmm. he's realizing that the relationships he has uh, at work he is taking them for granted and through this relationship with this little girl who he doesn't even meet until later in the film she's the one that more or less shows him that Mm -hmm. so all of this really mirrored each other and I actually just watched up not that long ago again about I'd say six months ago I watched it and it was kind of amazing to me and I took little lines from it there's a line there's this ongoing line called adventure is out there that's in up and I kind of implemented that into the script I I hope I was sort of what's the word subtle Subtle, probably not but <laughs> but yeah, it was actually this very interesting thing because it wound up mirroring the themes basically ended up being the same. Mm-hmm. And that really did happen without me noticing it until I was really deep into the process. And I realized that it's these characters who it's all about, you know, not taking things for granted and just realizing that you can find the strongest form of happiness that's right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And that was a really trippy experience, to be honest. And I think people will see this thing and probably, hopefully, want to go watch Up too, because I think they they complement each other in a very specific way, which was very exciting to me as I wrote it. So you, when you write... Um, is this true for just this or whenever you write, do you think of your theme partway through it or do you have one in place when you're writing something? I think I probably thought I had one in place and then it probably changed as I was writing it. Mm -hmm. And then gratitude became the big one that became the thing that led to the, to the main character's arc the most. And it was probably the the piece of the story that people could probably relate to the most. And you know what? To be honest, now what is so exciting 
in its own way about this project is I think that, quite frankly, gratitude is something that we can all relate to very, very much just in these, you know, lockdown times. And it, it's become very timely, actually. I'm, I'm kind of blown away that all of this happened when it did, mm-hmm. uh, because it's something that I think is going to be discussed for a long time just with everything that's happened in the world. Uh, but theme, I think I've learned to implement it early, as early as possible, and to go from there. Uh, I think something, I try to keep it simple, and to be honest, I think that is actually something that, don't hate me, that I got from a screenwriting book. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think this was very experimental for me, and... It was very organic, and I learned on the go with this particular piece, and still, still improving on it. But theme, I think, is something that it's best to know it early. But that's not to say that it can't change. That's actually very interesting because whenever I write, I never have a theme in mind. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know Matt, you think of a theme kind of early on as well, too, right? Yeah, I was going to say, we've got the whole spectrum here. Latif never thinks of it. Tim's open for it to change. And, yeah, I can't think... I can't... I always have a theme in mind, and if I don't... Like, the script I was telling you about with the hulking Irishman as the lead character, I got, like, 30 pages in, and I was like, what the fuck am I writing? I don't even know (laughs) what this is. And I was like, okay, I gotta take a couple days, step back, what am I trying to say with this? And once I figured out the theme, the other 60, 70 pages came super, super quick. But yeah, without theme, I don't know. It's, It's my compass, man. Latif, how long does it take you to discover theme? Well, you know, my my problem might be just with the word theme because it seems so like in cement, you know, like once it's once that's what the movie is about, that's all it's about. Um, uh, I, I find like because I'm so loose with structure and stuff, I will just pull things from my everyday life into my stories. Like I might go to the bakery as I'm writing a short story that day to get like a, a donut or in a coffee or something. And then someone might like, I don't know, drop all their change on the floor. And I'll be like, that, that was interesting. I'm going to put that into my script. And I'll, <laughs> so it, it just, it's so random and it just kind of piles up because, um, that's just how I write. Uh, so by the time I'm closer to being finished the script, then I kind of get an idea of what the movie is about. Um, and like a feeling that I'm chasing maybe, but that's about as far as I go in terms of theme. Um, I just have to know what the movie is kind of talking about. Um, but I never feel like, in, you know, the films I make are so loose that no one really knows what's happening. There's always something there, but um, I don't have like a hard theme as I'm writing. So uh, it, it kind of shows up closer to the end um, of the process for me. I, and I think theme can also be be layered in a sense, you know. You and I think that's what is so great that you can have debates about exactly what the movie is about. Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever see uh, the Terminal, that Tom Hanks movie? I love from, that movie. Right, me too. And when you watch it, or even when you just see the trailer, you think it's just 
it's a movie about this weird dude who is stuck in the airport and oh that's funny this guy doesn't know where what to do and he can he can't leave the the terminal but i remember watching that movie a while back and i just for some reason that struck me harder than other films have but that's a movie about people just helping each other because that's what happens to him and that's what he's doing throughout the film he's coming across all these airport employees and they're helping him with this thing or or that thing and i remember kind of being blown away by that movie in in a way and it's it's not one of spielberg's you know you don't think of spielberg the terminal (laughs) together right away you think et and indiana jones but that's one of his sort of hidden gems i think now i might watch that again I might watch that tonight now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we're hitting that uh, hour mark. So, Tim, any other thoughts? Like, any other things you just want to tell the audience about the project or anything? Uh, no. It's, again, seeing up a three-part series, 12th Street Online, in uh, the academic journal associated with the new school. You can go to my Instagram, at Timothy Cakebread all one word uh, and see the link right there anytime and again parts two and three will be out April 19th and hope people enjoy so thank you and thank you guys yeah thanks thank for coming you, on Tim. Uh, it's a pleasure yeah alright well yeah this has been another episode of Filmcraft it's brought to you by ACAST right on thank you <laughs> alright till next week